I'm so excited because I am sitting in the upstairs lounge of the auto bar with the bar's owner, Tekla Tesnow. Thank you, Tekla, for being on the show. Thank you, Jess. It's great to have you here. Like I said, I've never seen this place in the daylight, so this is kind of trippy for me a little bit, um, just it's, thinking about all the times I've had up here. It's a totally different vibe during the day. Yeah, but I like it. I, I think you get to see a little bit more of the nooks and crannies, which are kind of nice. Don't look at the dirt. <laughs> Don't look too close to the nooks and crannies. <laughs> um, no, I'm getting just a lot of nostalgic flashbacks for, from times on the dance floor and karaoke and two for Tuesdays and just my whole life. I'm super stoked about it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I this is the first time I've met you. I've heard about you, obviously appreciated the Autobar for so long. But are, are you from Baltimore originally or how did you how did you come to this crazy place? I am not originally from Baltimore. I'm here because of my love of B movies. Hmm. And uh, I was going to college and I hated the college I was going to. And my best friend uh, out of state was like, oh, follow me to Baltimore. Oh I was like, God. wait a second, Baltimore? Isn't that where John Waters is from? Oh, that's awesome. She said yes. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll try it out for a year or so. So, so that's kind of all you knew before coming here was the John Waters That was it. That's, my entire knowledge of Baltimore basically extended to Pink Flamingos and uh, his uh, John Waters' other, you know, awesome offerings in the uh, beef lake world. So. so when did you get here? Like what time uh, 1988. So how would you describe Baltimore at that time? Oh, it was so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Yeah. I ended up absolutely falling in love with the city, the grittiness, the dirtiness. There was, I don't know what all I can say on this podcast, Jess. Oh, but, it's, uh, we mark it explicit just to leave it okay. open for whatever. Right. I remember the first week I was in town and um, there I went to the 7-Eleven with my friend and you know, we'd gotten our own apartment like pretty quickly and we walk up to the 7-Eleven to grab and we're all of what, like I think 19 years old, Yeah. you know, not even 20 yet. So we're like loaded down with like Snickers and all this candy. And I see some guy jacking off in a little alcohol, oh, like right out in the open. You know, it's like maybe nine o'clock at night or so, <laughs> you know, in the summer. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Wow. Welcome wow. to Baltimore. I was like, welcome, exactly. Welcome <laughs> to Baltimore. Is this normal? Oh and, uh, you know, I wasn't freaked out, but I was definitely like, this is normal. This is normal. Okay. Yeah. Right. So a that is that is really interesting. A lot of people say that Baltimore reminds them of how New York used to be. And it's sort of never grown out of it in, in a good way. Um, obviously, you know, the crime is a whole other thing. But when you just talk about sort of the greediness and the weirdness and, and all of that stuff, it, it feels like Baltimore has been able to maintain a little bit of that. Maybe not, you're not seeing people jack off every day, hopefully, but <laughs> but you're getting some really of that. I haven't really seen that too much these days. But. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so yeah. So it's like these weird little like odd punctuations that in your day-to-day -day mundanity, when you're just getting up and you're doing your thing and you're going to work or whatever, uh, there are these weird moments that just don't seem to happen anywhere else, totally. at least from my understanding. And I've lived everywhere. I was a former carny. Oh, my right? God. Yeah, yeah. So grew up in the carnival. And, what did you, you know, do as a carny? Uh, my father actually invented and manufactured carnival rides. And so oh. we took them out on different circuits every season. What's and, a ride uh, that he invented? I'm so curious. Uh, so one is called the Crazy Cars, and it was a bumper car uh, feature where, uh, and they were round, and they ran off electricity in the floor. So, and it actually had like um, buoyancy, like sort of an cool. inner tube around the the parts so you could actually run into other people. That was kind of part of the fun. Most bumper cars, really, you're not supposed to bump. Which is so, ironic because exactly. that's the whole point. Well, I call them bumper cars. Oh, what an More interesting... like avoidance cars, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what an interesting childhood, though. Like, yeah. it must have been fun. And did you get to test out the rides? Oh, yeah. Were you the guinea yeah. pig? <laughs> yeah, my sister and I, for sure. Yeah. yeah we had a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we're sort of the poster kids for a lot of his rides. And uh, guinea pigs for, <laughs> for them as well. Oh, my God. So, yeah. But obviously, Baltimore was sort of a natural progression of, like, you know, oddities, you know, mm -hmm. from my growing up period and natural progression, like going, you know, landing here 
on a lark yeah. and uh, just absolutely falling in love with the gritty quirk, as I like to call it, that Baltimore is so known for. I don't know if you saw, I think it was this week or last week, someone tweeted a picture of a goat wearing a fedora, just like walking down the street I love in that West goat. Baltimore. And I was that like, that is a fly goat. I was like, this, this is something that would only happen in Baltimore. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, goat in a fedora. I want to invite that goat to my next party. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Bring him to Autobar, put him on stage. He, that just, guy's got a story. <laughs> he definitely has a story and I would follow him on tour. Um, so how did you get into bartending? Like, did you must have started pretty young, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Actually, one of my very first jobs in Baltimore was working at, and harken back, if you will, <laughs> to the late 80s, you know, uh, where there was a movie theater down at the Inner Harbor called UA Mer Movies at Harbor Park. And before they revamped it in the 90s and turned it into, I don't know, whatever it is now, um, there was an upstairs lounge that had a tiny little bar. Oh, cool. And they served... Frozen margaritas, frozen strawberry daiquiris, and some box wine. And that was it. And that was my first bartending gig. And believe it or not, I think, uh, so that was my technically my second job in Baltimore. Um, again, I was, I think, maybe 20 years old, you know. And you said this was explicit, right? Yes, You know, yes, mainly please. I was just in it to do whippets in the back with the whipped cream. <laughs> You know? Usually how it starts out, everybody's you know, first or second job. Right, you're doing you something know, sketchy you know, in the bathroom. My manager was always like, why aren't these whipped cream canisters working? <laughs> Seems full. So You're just like re-upping whipped cream all the time. They don't know why. I know. Oh, my God. I awesome. was encourageable. But I did get to meet John Waters. He oh came God. up and ordered a white wine spritzer. Oh, before Wonderful. his uh he saw his his feature film i guess so did you keep it cool were you like fangirling i i totally kept it cool i did ask him for his autograph yeah. and he gave it to me on a little bar nap which was really cute and i asked him what his sign was and without missing a beat he turns around to me as he's leaving and said feces oh my <laughs> god that's amazing sealed the deal sealed the deal for me i was like i'm in it i'm in it but here for life such a perfect answer because it sounds like an astro like astrological like we're in pisces, pisces season right, right now yeah. oh my god <laughs> he just always knows exactly what to say he's a tremendous talent i love him do you still have that bar napkin oh alas no no yeah. i've done so much traveling i used baltimore as my home base for many many years and still it is it's absolutely i chose it as my home I love it as my home. It yeah. is my home. But I do still like to travel. So, you know, I might do a stint in London or a stint in Austin cool. or Seattle for a year or so, you know, back before I had children. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, uh, that lampkin is long gone. <laughs> your Carney lifestyle still lives on a little bit. With your... it, is, it does. It yeah. does. Carney's not dead. So how did you, so you were bartending, making frozen margaritas and wine spritzers for John Waters in the right. Inner Harbor. And then how did you come to the auto bar um, on, on Davis Street, I'm right. imagining? Yeah. Yeah. So I had a gig in Sawibo, which uh, was like a little sushi bar. Um, hmm. and it was called Akira at that time. And I want to say the mid nineties. Okay. And I befriended a line cook who had worked at the cafe across the street from us and, uh, by the name of Mr. Michael Bowen. And, okay. uh, I remember reading, um, you know, in the nineties, there were all these chat books around, you know, people would leave like flyers for their bands and books of poetry and, and whatnot. It was like, Paper was the media, right? This was before the internet. So paper was everywhere. So I right. remember we had a little, you know, paper, you know, neighborhood, you know, area where people could just throw whatever they wanted, whatever advertisement. And I remember picking up this chat book and reading this awesome poetry and thinking, oh, wow, this guy is really demented. He's like a Baltimore's, <laughs> you know, Charles Bukowski. Wow. And, uh, Finally put two and two together and realized, oh, that was the guy who works as a line cook line across cook. the street at the cafe. So we struck up a, a friendship and a, a many, many, you know, late night drunken conversations like yeah. after hours at the bar I was working at and became fast friends. And he told me at one point, he's like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do either. I'm going to go to uh, culinary school or maybe I'll open a venue. Hmm. And of course this is very late night and I patted him on the shoulder and was like, all right, buddy, you let me know what you do. And you know, good luck with that. You know, good luck with all that. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Six months later, I get a phone call. I was like, Tecla, I don't know what a fucking rocks glass is. 
<laughs> I need help. I need help. Yeah. Right, exactly. So I was like, all right, bud, I got you. So, you know, he was calling in his friends to help him out, like, you know, set the, the Davis Street venue up. And uh, so I, you know, loving Mike like I do, and he's still one of my, my dearest friends. Yeah. Um, I was like, okay, yeah, and really realized, like, his vision, like, what he wanted to do is, like, this dirty little rock and roll art space, divey thing, and uh, when I first came to Baltimore, one of the things that I loved about it, you know, in the late 80s is that I saw all these flyers for killer punk rock shows, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, DRI and Flipper and Butthole Surfers, and me being, like, kind of the gutter punk I was was like that's awesome yeah not realizing that those shows were probably from years ago and that nothing was really happening, was happening in here. the city yeah yeah or, so or people were going to DC for that stuff exactly yeah. yeah yeah Baltimore just didn't really have too much of a scene I just missed the Jules loft window okay. and there really wasn't anything at that point so while there was in the 90s some small venues like the I think it was like um I want to say there was a space uh, like out off Wilkins Boulevard, maybe. Okay. I can't remember the like name of it off back the top. Near of- Catonsville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That had just closed, and there were like some tiny venues that had popped up and closed as well. So and like people playing in churches, probably. Right. Yeah. yeah. And VFW halls. Yeah. And even Towson University. You know. Oh wow. I remember like having friends like play. Uh, and see sing agnostic front there back in the oh, day. Oh, cool! Right? Yeah. That's <laughs> so, awesome. so what he proposed was like there was it was a perfect timing kind of moment where we could kind of do whatever we wanted in this crazy art space and also bring awesome bands in and local bands. So, Baltimore was always a kind of an afterthought in yeah. a lot of the musical market. So it really allowed us to do whatever the hell we wanted to do, you know. That freedom is so awesome. I mean, you kind of can, like you said, it's just like a clean slate and and do whatever. Yeah, so in that I found my tribe and my love of music. You know, I grew up going to like shows of all kinds, like, you know, in uh, like mainly in like Florida and like anywhere I could go, like just anytime there was a show I was there. So Yeah. yeah, so having a job where the show's coming to me and I get to make some money watching the show and, you know, right. helping put it on. Fantastic. That's a, Sign me up. That's a dream. Yeah. yeah. So so for people that weren't lucky enough to go to the Davis Street location and maybe only know the Howard Street location. Right. How would you describe it? I feel like there's no way to really describe just how small it felt, in the, especially downstairs watching the bands. <laughs> um, I right. remember it was tiny. I saw an Atari show and there was not enough room to actually stand inside. So I was standing just like in the street watching the show with a bunch of other people because it just was too full in there. It was a tiny box. And stunk like B.O. as those shows always did. Oh, yeah. And maybe like cigarettes at that time, I think, probably. Oh, definitely. Definitely like cigs. And um, but but I loved it. Like it was just it was I just love the idea that we were just like spilling on into the street, all singing the songs. It was this really cool energy. But I was curious for you, who was there from the beginning, like how would you describe the energy in there? And I've got a perfect description. Yeah, please. I loved that space. Yeah. Loved that space. It was filthy. It was tiny. It was hot. Or is it? And in the winter, it was quote unquote heat free. <laughs> it was you know like being in some like horrible little I want to say okay have you ever been to those places like where people are developing like a cul-de-sac right yeah like and the houses actually never get built and there's like a basement so you just have a house party in a half oh, sure, basement sure, sure. yeah and you're absolutely making out with your crush on some crusty like old like I want to say horribly patterned couch that's yep. seen better days and you just Everything kind of reeks of B.O. and spilled beer and like the frenetic sexual energy of like teenagehood. That was that spot. Wow. That is an amazing description. And I wholeheartedly agree. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely had. I mean, it helped that like I was a teenager when I was going there, but it had a teenage energy to it. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And we were all acting. I think I was like. I don't know, in my late 20s at that point and absolutely acting all of 17. Right. It makes, no matter what age you are, you probably just want to act 17 anyway. 
Truly. Yes. <laughs> so I'm curious, like, was there a show that sticks out in your mind at that first spot that you really feel like exemplified kind of the energy or the vibe or just I'm sure it's like choosing your babies, asking favorite shows. But oh, yeah, that's a hard one. With the Davis Street shows, um, there are quite a few that stick in my mind. There's, you know, the White Stripes played before they really broke, which was phenomenal and very poorly attended. Um, and when was that again? Oh, my gosh. I want to say that was in 97 Late or 98. 90s. Yeah. And then um, I think it was Gogo Bordello again before they got big. And, you know, imagine this lanky, gorgeous, like yeah. completely stripped down to like. Uh, red, white, and blue thong and platform boots doing the worm on the bar, right? I can't even imagine, like, their energy <laughs> tiny, being contained in that small of a space because they are larger than life. Tiny, I mean. tiny L-shaped bar. Oh, the worm and, like, on doing the, bar. the worm. He was, you know, he took up the entirety of the bar with, like, one, you know, un, you know, what is it, like, undulation, I yes. guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, perfect <laughs> like, description. But my absolute favorite is, uh, I believe it was Jesus Lizard played there. Mm. And um, David Yao, who I adore, he is a tremendous, you know, he's got an incredibly uh, provocative voice and stage presence and true to that nature, stripped completely naked, tucked himself in between his legs, a la, you know, Goodbye Horses in Silence of the Lambs oh God, number. Yes. and visual. Right, right. And basically um, wiggled his way around the stage and would, you know, kind of poke his microphone at people. (laughs) It was, yeah, it was the best of times. Yeah. I I can't even imagine. So I'm curious, like working at um, a venue and making drinks for people, for the band, for your staff, probably. um, Is it, do you feel like it's a different energy? Like are people ordering drinks in a different way than they would at like a regular neighborhood bar or a cocktail bar or something? Like, is there... Is it more challenging? Are the drinks different? Are they simpler? Like, I'm just so curious. Right. Yeah. So at a at a show, for example, we get a lot of like beer drinkers and there are some cocktail drinkers here and there. But it's definitely like the frenetic energy of like and the anticipation of getting to see a band you're really stoked about. Yeah. I think people drink a little faster. I think that's probably true. They're also probably dehydrated. And so they're they're drinking to hydrate, which is, you know, they should be drinking water, but. Well, that makes absolute sense. <laughs> yeah. But I could like, I feel like I could like suck down a one-on-one like whiskey, ginger, rum and Coke, something like that. Oh yeah. So quickly at a show. Oh yeah. Yeah. At a yeah. show it's, it, and it really is, I think the anticipation, mm-hmm. you know? So my favorite thing about live music in general is the whole um, kinetic energy that you, mm-hmm. the audience shares with the band. Right. Yeah. So. I think the anticipation really uh, regulates people's, uh, I want to say, the one-two punch of, like, grabbing the drink, putting in your face, you know, grabbing the drink, putting in your face. Right. Like, I, I think that I drink way more at a show than I would at my neighborhood bar where I'm just, like, Chilling. maybe having, you know, conversation. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's, like, a tempo thing happening that you don't even realize. Right, Like, yeah. the fans are super high energy. Good point. You kind of feed off that. That's oh. that's my excuse why I get too drunk I shows. like that. I think that makes a lot of <laughs> sense. Put it on the tempo. It's the drum beat. Yeah. <laughs> Damn kick drum. Um, so, d- and when did you guys start talking about, okay, we – have to move to a bigger space. We need to move to a bigger space. Like, why did those conversations start happening? Well, we used to have a lot of after hours conversations and we had talked about how um, on Davis Street, it was really limiting not being able to have bigger shows. Like, it's it's just a natural progression when you have like, you know, we had a tremendous talent in our booking agent at that time, Mr. Lesser, who, uh, who's still with us too, who's an absolute workhorse. He's phenomenal. And he, uh, you know, he's bringing in all these great bands. And finally, Baltimore isn't just a flyover city anymore, you know, from Philly to D.C. So bands are actually stopping here. It's a destination, right? Yeah. So we were like, all right, well, if we're able to pull these bands in, we need to have a place where they're able to, you know, bring some people they in. and therefore, green room. Right, they can have, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Mr. Bowen started shopping around. And I remember one night, I believe we were with one of my dear friends, uh, Gayla Lee and we're like having beers and like you know just talking and 
you know, thinking about a new spot. She's like, oh, you should try the old club midnight space. Go check that out. You know, because we were banding about like, you know, let's have it at the stadium. We'll just take over a part. Like, I don't know, all the crazy like after hours like ideas yeah, that yeah. are genius. But right in the bold light of day, maybe not so much. <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, so Mike actually went and uh, checked out the club midnight space. And it was, I think, uh, I don't. I wasn't there for that particular foray, but it became very clear very quickly. Like that was the spot. This is the spot, Howard Street. So, wow. yeah. So the turnaround was fast. Yeah. Yeah. When was this? It was in O two, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And it was. I think we were closed Davis Street, and two days later we opened Howard oh Street. God. How is that even possible? Like lots of help. Yeah. You must have <laughs> just been. Like everybody just pitching in. Yeah. And, and at that time I was pregnant and about to. Wow give birth to uh, my darling boy, Milo, and uh, had bartended pregnant right, up until that point. Right, because you said he's 20. That makes, oh my God, I know, right? was 20 years ago. <laughs> That's right. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. So. Oh my gosh, so you're pregnant. Yeah. And moving this space. Yeah, That's, yeah. that's a lot. So I wasn't really able to help out as much as I wanted to when we moved to this space, but luckily, you know, tons of friends came in and, you know, did some paint and like construction and just set everything up. And our sound people basically built from the subs, you know, to all of the equipment that we have in-house now, like from scratch and, you know, basically got it going. That's and, incredible. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were only down two days. So. Oh, my God. And I think the sound here is some of the best. I've, I mean, I've been to a lot of clubs around the country. I know you have, too. Like, I think the sound here is impeccable. I think bands Agreed. sound so good in, in the box or whatever you want to call it. It just... Uh, it's so powerful and no matter where you're standing, it sounds good. And yeah, 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 that is 100. I can attribute that 100% to our incredible sound techs, Adam Cook and Natasha Tylea. Like they built that system from the ground up and they're still involved again here. So it's so cool yeah. that so many of the original people are still involved in some. I know not everyone, but yeah. um, but that's a testament to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a really fantastic um I want to say like community of creatives who just like I you know I say this all the time but I don't think it really sinks in the sheer talent and when I say talent I mean true fucking talent yeah that we have in this city is jaw-dropping yeah and the fact that you know from our sound technicians to the musicians to the artists and it is absolutely one of my favorite I call it an incubator city. Mm. It is, uh, and I've lived, you know, if you'll recall just a few minutes ago, yes. everywhere. Right. Baltimore is it for me. And Baltimore is truly a, what I like to call a tastemaker city. Yeah. And it's not like flashy about it. It doesn't brag about Fuck it. No, no one knows about it. Yeah. <laughs> keep it. Let's and keep it that way. Can we? <laughs> I know. I'm like, shh. Um, were, were there concerns though, moving from the small space to the big space that it would lose some of that luster and you know we weren't really worried about it we just saw a need and decided to move operations to where we were where we thought it could be best be served mm -hmm. that need right so we really didn't think that you know we were going to be selling out or you know losing some of the dirty you know grimy awesomeness that made the old street you know davis street location uh we figured we'd probably just you know because we're Dirty, filthy people will probably just bring the grime with yeah. us. So. Just make the bathrooms kind of gross and <laughs> the rest will it's do a, it. It's a job. natural progression, yeah. really. So, and honestly, the biggest motivator um, isn't, you know, anything more than, all right, now we have a platform that's worthy of the city, mm -hmm. right? The city, it's not too big. It's not too small. It's a Goldilocks for yeah. upcoming bands. Or, or what I like to call bands on the nostalgia circuit. Maybe they've hit their peak and, you know, a few years later, they've, you know, like maybe a little bit on the downswing, right. you know. So it's kind of like, you know, a tremendous jumping off point or still a point where people can come and see their favorite bands or see their favorite bands, you know, or bands that will be their favorite in the future. Right, right, yeah. right. That's yeah, a good yeah. way to put it. Were there bands that performed here once you moved that, you could only that really could have only performed here with because of their following and and oh yeah yeah are there oh, yeah. like examples of that from the beginning and you were thinking like okay this never could have happened on Davis Street all of them yeah. <laughs> so many of them yeah 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 um 
I want to say, um, obviously, you know, bigger bands that have really hit it now, like Future Islands mm-hmm. and Y Oak and Beach House, you know, obviously, yeah. you know, all the the indie artists, you know, in Baltimore that we're really known for. Um, but uh, even the Melvins, you know, mm-hmm. we had mm-hmm. the, what, uh, what it, uh, I'm trying to think, God, there's been so many bands and, you know, just, I've seen upwards of 15,000 bands. Wow. Easily. Wow. That's a very small estimate. So um, I think that to honestly answer your question, I don't know that, there's any band that uh, could ever play Davis Street now. Like, you know, really, it would have to be like a house band or something like that, you know? Like, we had the Queers back then, and, you know, this. it seems like all the bands that used to play the old Davis Street space have done pretty well for themselves, you know, if they're still around, that is, you know? So, you know, Today is the Day, you know, the Dwarves, you know? So, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's still all underground, but... um, I don't know. I just don't think you find spaces like Davis Street, that sort of magical spot, that magical sweet spot, like much anymore. I mean, maybe we might get back to it again. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe there maybe there are venues out there that I'm just not super aware of. Yeah, you well, know? that's the thing, too. Yeah. I'm like, have I just like aged out of what the, like cool kids are doing these days? Right. That's entirely possible. Right. Yeah. But one of the things I, I know that is very unique about Autobar is that we started it like as artists as musicians mm. right mm-hmm. so we're all everybody that started this place generally speaking are either graphic designers musicians fine artists etc like right you know so we all had like kind of this background like let's do this so kind of like a diy space you know you're like oh yeah it's like a in, in a warehouse but we turned the warehouse into a legitimate business well and that makes sense why i think all the important stuff is is you get right because you care about the sound, you care about the vibe and feel because you are artists and you know, that stuff matters. Um, yeah. But was there stuff about moving here that made like your day to day, like as a bartender easier? Um, or like, did that shift anything for you guys? Obviously it's a bigger space. You have two bars. Yeah. If anything, it made it a little bit harder. More difficult. Yeah. It's two It's two separate spaces, two different vibes. Yeah. And we might have something going on that's completely divorced, uh, you know, upstairs to downstairs. Right. right. So we have the main stage, which is one room, and we have the upstairs, which is a completely different room. So sometimes those two things, you know, like... Uh, like Reese's peanut butter cup, you know, they kind of like the chocolate and the peanut butter, they go really great together. And yeah. sometimes completely no, like no, like OJ and Coke. Let's it, not do that. It has been funny some nights, like coming from a show downstairs and you come up because it's always the, one of my most favorite things to do at the auto bar, go to a show, be really sweaty and gross and then come up here for beers afterwards and like talk to your friends about what just happened. Yeah. It's the best thing. But like if you go to a show and the vibe is like, I don't know, super like, it's like just this like rock and roll, just like super loud, whatever show. And then you come up here and the vibe's just totally different. You almost feel like you're going to a different bar. Yeah. Which is kind of, kind of cool. One of my favorite things about having the upstairs lounge space, right, is we do karaoke up here. Oh yeah. So you might have some crazy ass show like downstairs. (laughs) Um, Oh gosh, so many shows. And like, I'm trying to remember, this has happened several times. I'm trying to remember some of the players, but you know, I can count on my you know all my fingers and toes like the instances that the bands that have played downstairs will come up and perform karaoke oh my god that rules. yeah yeah so i was thinking how more crazy like, is that i was i would be so self-conscious if i was like up singing karaoke and then i look out and the band i just saw was in the audience i, know, right? I can't even imagine <laughs> oh but that's funny coolest... usually usually the drummer's the one on the microphone at karaoke oh, really yeah I guess they don't get enough time on the, you know. Yeah, they have like a lot of repressed. Maybe. Creativity Maybe. they need to let yeah. out or something. Usually the rhythm, rhythm section is the one you see on the karaoke mic. Oh my God, that's really <laughs> funny. Um, so let's talk about 2019, which feels like 80 years ago at this point because of everything we've been through. Um, yeah. It came up that the auto bar is for sale and you ended up being the one to buy it. So talk about how it came up for sale, how you wrestled with that decision, why you made that decision. All of those things. I won it in a poker game. No, oh, my God. I was like, exclusive. I've never heard this. <laughs> no, that would be amazing, yeah, wouldn't it, though? I love that. I you love know, that. Maybe I'll talk to Mike and see if, you know, maybe we can decide that that's actually what happened. You're like a bar right. fight or something. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I am terrible at arm wrestling, so it wouldn't be that one. It's probably <laughs> rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. No, never mind. I'm terrible at that, too. 
<laughs> so uh, the old owner, Mike, you know, he um, he had uh, had several partners over the years, but he's been the one that was kind of the mainstay from the, the beginning, like he, me and one of the other uh, the booking agent. Right. So kind of the trifecta. And Mike, um, you know, he was he's getting tired. Yeah. You know, he'd been doing this for 20 years and. You know, it's difficult running a business, even a successful business, right? There's always something. There's always some new drama or some problem. And, you know, he just, I think he just really was tired and wanted a change, yeah. you know, change of pace, wanted to, you know, scale it slow back a little bit, slow it down a little bit. Yeah. You know, and like I said, we're all artists and musicians. He's an incredible artist, incredible painter. Oh, and I cool. think he really wanted to focus more on that portion of his career, you know, I'm just guessing here, but yeah. you know, as someone who has a few of his pieces in my house now, I'm like, oh yeah, 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 it's good. That was a good move. Yeah, he needed to <laughs> slow down to do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So really important for him, I think, to to back away. And so he and his partner were his partners were shopping the building out and the business out to to uh, investors or people who might want to take it over. And at that point, I was the head bartender, and um, he had told me well in advance, you know, that he was, you know, he was done. And, you know, that just, mm. it didn't sit with me right. Mm -hmm. You know, I love the Autobar. Yeah. I love it. I love the people that come here. I love the bands that come here. I loved and love my employees, my coworkers. you know, every nook and cranny, even with the lights on, the cobwebs <laughs> and the grime. I love it all. Yeah. And one of the things I thought, I was like, well, there would be no way I could ever take it over, ever, in a million years. But uh, I was like, I got sat down one fateful after hours night again, right, over beers Always. with some of my compatriots. And they're like, you got to do it, dude. Tekla, you're the <laughs> only one. You're the only one. You got to try, man. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay. God damn it, like, you know, right. <laughs> four beers in, you know, maybe a little Jameson. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. Yes. Oh, that's the only way it could have ever happened. Four beers in and a little Jameson. So, oh, man. yeah. So needless to say, a glorious pep talk, you know, fueled with a little bit of like liquid ambition. And, um, you know, I made some inquiries. I pulled in all the favors yeah. and, uh, like basically just talk to friends who'd done some similar things. Talk to Mike Bowen, who, you know, got me in touch with his commercial real estate agent, his commercial broker. And uh, I guess people liked me and believed enough in me that I knew what I was doing with this place because I'd been involved in it for so long. And right. And I don't, you know, you've just met me, Jess, but I'm kind of high energy. <laughs> so <laughs> at least he's got the energy for it, you know, as I'm sure we're, Part of what people were like, yeah, 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 I think she can probably do this. Yeah. And boom, the between the SBA and some seed money and a lot of support yeah. from a lot of people, I was able to purchase it. And uh, yeah. I, I remember the collective sigh of relief in Baltimore because, you know, we heard the auto bars for sale. I was terrified that like this would be condos or something. It was going to be condos. That was the, that was one of the Of course it was. Like, that's, Dude, I was so pissed. Uh, can I you was, imagine? Right. So just to just to be real clear here, we had brought in like some people. I hadn't brought them in, but, you know, they were coming in and I overheard some guy mm. say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We could turn this into a Chipotle on the first floor oh and apartments God. on the second, third. And we could build this up six, six stories. And I fucking lost my mind. I yeah. Between so between the after hours and that That's conversation, your right I was there. like, "Boom! Yeah. yeah, yeah, no way am I going to let this." But I just happen I just to remember that that collective sigh of relief when we heard, you know, this longtime veteran head bartender bartended the original space. Tekla is is going to be buying the auto bar. I mean, I remember talking about it at work with my friends. Like everyone was just so happy. Oh, and I mean. Obviously, you can have predicted what the next couple of years would have looked like. I don't know if that would have changed your decision. But um, I, I just thank you for buying it because the, the thought of this being a Chipotle and, and a six-story condo makes me want to hurl. So I will fucking pound a 20-pound burrito. Yeah. Easily. Oh, sure. Shove Nothing against Chipotle Nothing against Chipotle, but just not here. Just not here. Just not in this space. This yeah. space is iconic now. It really has yeah. been like... 
just like I think it was, you know, granted it's been several years now, but Rolling Stone, Unbidden. Oh, yeah. Unbidden called it like one of the best venues in the country. And Mike and I were looking at each other like, how the fuck did that happen? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Who who wrote this article? That was a huge deal. I remember like mid-2000s or something that came out. Yeah. it was teens, I, mid-teens, probably. Yeah, I think it was like 2018. Yeah. It was right before I bought it. So it was yeah. it was great leverage to be able to take this to like the bank and say, like, by look the way, this. look yeah. at this article. We're kind of a big deal. <laughs> right. If you didn't know, kind of a big deal. But uh yeah, the collective side relief um when we announced it was I was nervous, yeah, you know. Because, you know, I didn't know what, you know, when we announced it publicly, I was like, oh, I don't know. Is this, you know, hopefully people are going to be okay with this. Yeah. And you it get was that, so... like, imposter syndrome sneaking in that should always fuck off and die, but it's there. Yeah, and... constantly. Yeah. Girl, constantly. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. But, you know. But not, you sh- you are the perfect person to buy it, of course, but you still even had that, which is. Yeah. I've never run a business before. Right. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But again, uh, you know, a perfect spiral into from 1997 to, you know, 2019, you know, it's very, you know, it's like deja vu. I don't, I still don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a quick study. But you have the passion, the energy, the, the you're doing it for the the right reasons. I mean, I, all that stuff you can't really like teach, I guess. Like that's you're just born with that stuff. So yeah. um obviously the elephant in the room has been COVID right. for the past few years. I remember interviewing a venue um owner in like 2020, I think, and and she said to me, um, we're the first thing that closed and we're gonna be the last thing that opens. And and I just that like hit me like a ton of bricks because obviously everything is affected, but the way the music venues are affected was kind of a particular, particular challenge. Um, so how did you like how did you cope on sort of the harder days? How did you get through stuff when it had to be shut down? You had to cancel shows. You weren't sure if it would reopen. I mean, how did you get through those times? It must have been. I mean, and you're still going through it, like for sure. But yeah, yeah, that was. I want to say that was the absolute hardest thing. The past two years have been the hardest two years of my entire life, Mm. without a doubt. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, Devastating, nerve wracking. Um, Now, as a carny, I love roller coasters. I was raised by roller coasters. Roller coasters were my babysitters, right? (laughs) So luckily, I had the fortitude (laughs) to be able to, like the intestinal fortitude to just grip onto anything I could possibly grip onto yeah. and ride this this ride to the very end, yeah. right? You know, come what may. And, you know, there were many pep talks I had to give myself. Luckily, I had, like, a tremendous amount of support from the community, a tremendous amount of support from my family, you know, my husband, my kids, and, you know, the satellite family members that I have and who all believed in me and figured out that, you know, or, or figured that, if anybody could come through it on the other side, that was me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't necessarily share their belief. Yeah. You, know? you were like, thank God they thought that. Right, because, right. Yeah. So at least having that, um, you know, the cheerleading squad behind me yeah. was absolutely crucial. And, you know, there were many times I wanted to give up yeah. and wanted to throw in the towel. It was just too, too hard. It was too complicated. I've never really dealt with having to, you know, uh, run a business before. And then here we are thrown into the middle of a pandemic. How do you run a business during a pandemic when you, your main, uh, product, which is music and entertainment, you can't provide anymore. How do you do that? Yeah. So, you know, we got real creative. I was just going to say, I loved the outside auto bar stuff. We came to a movie night on Halloween here. We did, was there a trivia? We did trivia. Yep. There was a trivia night. Um, Definitely donated to the GoFundMes. I mean, I feel like I was always hearing about ways in which you guys are trying to make it work and like admiring that because I'm sure some days you were just like, I just don't even want to do anything. That hustle was was serious. There was serious hustle. And I was really helped in the fact that between the GoFundMe, which we got a tremendous now the GoFundMe whole different story you put yourself out there like that you know yeah you know if you have haters of any point at any kind any any flavor of variety it's like they're gonna come that's when they'll right? come out yeah 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 so i was like oh so scary <laughs> so scary but the you opposite know? seemed to happen right it's true yeah. yeah i was so oh my gosh just i was so floored with people's generosity it was absolutely the hardest thing i've ever 
had to do mm-hmm. as somebody who's been very independent and never asked for help, right. you know, very staunch in that, right? Like I can make my own way, you totally. know, to what I consider, you know, and no shade on anybody else, but what I consider like, a, I don't know, like a virtual, like handout yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it is what is, it is. It's a hit to my ego, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, oh, I don't want to do that, but I don't have a choice. Yeah. So if I love something so much, let's see if somebody else or many other people love love what I love too and yeah. would be willing to help out. And wow. Yeah. Wow. That's I must have been that saved the Baltimore City and all of the people in it basically helped save the Autobar. Which I mean not, nothing more fitting than that. How was the idea of reopening? Did you know, okay, we're gonna require vaccination cards, we're gonna require ma- like how did that all sort of unfold? You had to make those decisions yourself, so the, right? The entire pandemic, like from start to hopefully finish, mm-hmm. <laughs> has I'm been right. um, what I call um, course correction, right? So it's like, okay, we're going to travel down this path and try to take this path. It seems like the best path possible, whether it's a, um, you know, like pivoting to online sales for merch or GoFundMe or a fundraiser for the local artists and musicians that have graced our stage with our no stage diving. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that that whole fundraiser and all of pretty much 70 percent of that, I think all the proceeds went to the artists, you know, which was phenomenal. Super cool. Yeah. And uh, got to employ uh, an incredible um, a graphic designer, Devin Watson. I who, loved that art of the no stage. Yeah, it he's such so a good. tremendous talent. So yeah. so that fed me to in, in a way creatively. So and I like to consider myself a problem solver. So every time you're faced with another problem, I like to say, okay, let's do a little consultation with the staff and the crew and do any sort of Googling I possibly can and find the best course through the problem, right? Or around the problem. So or under the problem. (laughs) Yeah. So so we had a patio for, you know, better part of a year. And, uh, you know, we, we worked within the parameters. So much like any artist, I think one of the great things about great artists, right. Or like tremendous artists is that, you know, you give them rules Mm -hmm. for art and truly like masters of art will be able to work within those rules and give you something gorgeous. Yeah. Right. And then the fun stuff is going outside of the the lines and thumbing your nose at all the rules. But if you can't thumb your nose at the rules and you have to make it work within those those presets, try to make it awesome. Try to make it cool. I mean, yeah. I loved seeing the patio out there with the with the banners and the colorful. Yeah, the sunshades. I mean, you, yeah, yeah. You made it look like pretty rad for being an alley for an alleyway. Yeah. Right, right. We have in local wildlife. You yeah, know? there's like Jimmy the Rat out back. I mean, that's all part of it, though. <laughs> no, I I just I admired that so much because. I mean, you did have another, I, you, you know, a lot of people say they have no choice, but your other choice would have just been up. This is too exhausting. The, the thought of this, trying to figure this out is is too much. And you could have done that. Yeah. I'm really glad that we went through the pandemic and it's still, you know, it really taught me my, the depths of my resiliency, the depths of yeah. love that not only that I have for the creative community here, but that they have for me and this place. Um, it was, I'm a silver lining kind of person. And this brought all of that home. It was tangible. Mm -hmm. It was palpable, you know? And that was for me, I get goosebumps thinking about it. It was like, it was hard, but we're here. Yeah. We're still here. Music is (laughs) happening tonight. I mean, there's having a gathering place. Cause yeah, we, you know, virtual concerts were a thing and we could donate to musicians on their zoom concerts and that was wonderful but like it it wasn't the same and everyone knew it um so what just made you i don't know how did, what it, did it solidify in your mind about this place so so that's something i really thought about in rock tumbled because you know we didn't necessarily have i think the funds at that point to invest in uh, live streaming equipment yeah. you know we were kind of just eking by at that right. point so you know it really wasn't a uh, uh, uh for me i thought it, it wasn't going to quite serve our purposes but i kept thinking to myself why why is music so important why being there so important um, and why isn't virtual a good substitute for that? Yeah. So when I'm asking myself the, that question, I came to the realization that music is visceral. 
music is raunchy and visceral and it is evocative, right? Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why we love it is it can make us feel a certain way. And when you're transported into a room by a band that you're seeing and they're seeing you too, right? From the stage, that exchange, that kinetic exchange, like the guitarist hits that note and it just thrums right through you mm -hmm. and the singer is full of swagger. He throws his head around and that's, that sweat like hits you straight in the mm -hmm. face. You can't replace that with a very sterilized prepackaged version of that experience right. through your TV or yeah. through your computer screen. It's just not the same. It doesn't thrill the same way. So that to me was incredibly eye-opening that that particular experience is, there is no substitute, truly. Yeah. It's, and you know, that not to get too philosophical, but you know, that harkens to like, oh, you know, like some of the, the experiences that we treat as real, you know, online, are they really real? Yeah, no. Right? They might be evocative, but it's, it seems not quite to be as authentic yeah. as something that you might be experiencing in your own life. Right? Yeah, it's a so. loss of that like energy, the back and forth. Yeah. Um, because if it, first of all, if it's only going one way, that doesn't, really count because I love what you said about the band seeing you I think that's yeah. so important too. yeah and I'm that sure was... that bands missed that part of it right. so much yeah so really like going to a show it isn't just about me seeing my favorite band it's also about your favorite band looking at you mm -hmm. and playing to you yeah and how cool is that such a cool idea I think like, yeah it was really illuminating for me it was like an aha moment like yeah you know is the is the bass player? He probably doesn't see me, you know. Is the drummer? She's looking at me, isn't she? Oh, she's so cool. <laughs> and I feel like at the auto bar, they really can see you. Yeah, like it's, yeah. You're right there. It's true. Yeah. Right, exactly. Like going to see a huge band, you know, where it's all screens and stuff. That's a different sort of feeling, right? You know, but a like specifically a venue like auto bar when you are right up at the front and mm. or even in the room, like a little further back, you're still right there. It's intimate. I remember seeing the Bouncing Souls here, and I was front row so much so that there was a line of bruises on my pelvis for like a week from after the, the stage. Show. Yeah, yes. getting pushed to the stage. From the stage, because yeah. that's how close we were. I mean, sweat was on the whole thing. Oh yeah. It's, oh yeah. I'll never forget that show. It was yeah. incredible. And what I, I call war wounds. Yeah, it's war like badge of, badge of honor. Exactly, exactly. I was like, I should maybe be concerned about this, but I'm kind of proud of this. Right, right. It's my it's my badge of honor. So to end every podcast, we sort of do like a rapid fire segment. Bring and it. And I just kind of ask some random questions and so we'll see what happens. So what is the most common drink order at the auto bar? And does it change on two for Tuesdays? Bo and no. And no, you're good at rapid fire. I love this. Let's go faster. Uh, okay, this is gonna be harder. This is gonna be harder for you. Okay. Uh, favorite band you've gotten to see live here? Oh, uh, Curveball. You... Damn. Uh, favorite band live. Oh, I was here. like, who's Curveball? <laughs> that sounds like a great band. Um, it should be. I think they maybe are. Yeah. Um, best band I've seen live here. Oh, the hard one, just. I know, I know, I know. You I can love name a few. I love Future Islands. Yeah. I absolutely adore them. They did a four show residency and a residency is where they're in house and yeah. they play back to back shows like one every night um, for four different nights. I saw three out of the four. Every show is different. That's so Every cool. single time. It was phenomenal. Yeah. I love residencies. The dancing, everything yes. about their shows. Yes. Yeah. Love them. Okay. What's a band you'd love to play the Autobar? It's been like a dream of yours. Hasn't yet. Technically play. not a band, but Artists, I, yeah. I would give, I would, I don't know, some part of my body on the left side, Tom Waits. Wow. Yeah. Before he dies, dude. Yeah. Like how cool, like an intimate oh setting, like cafe, probably insanely impossible to do, but you know, how, how old cool is he that? now? Oh, probably like a million and yeah. a half. Like, I think he's definitely in his like seventies. Yeah. 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 So but, like, it's kind of. With Tom Waits, it's like you you want him to sound like how he's like, even as he gets older, I'm sure he sounds even cooler in some way. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, so I would love the I want the graveliness. Yeah. I want it like a cafe setting where everybody's kind of like we're like super intimate and like, you know, he just plays even 20 minutes. I'd take 20 minutes. If anyone out there has any connection to Tom Waits, like even Kevin Bacon style, let's see if we can get this movement going. <laughs> Please. That would be amazing. Um <laughs> Do you have a favorite local non-auto bar venue? It could be Baltimore, D.C., Philly. 
Oh gosh. Um, wow. That's a good question, Jess. I, um, never get out of the autobar. I'm really yeah. kind of locked here. I love it. And, and that's not to say I, I couldn't love other venues. Jeez. I don't, I, I don't really, I've never been to the Anthem. I've never oh, been to like, the uh, cool. yeah, I've never been to like some of even our other local venues. Yeah. I really haven't. And I know that sounds really weird, yeah. but I'm, I'm here all the time. <laughs> it's not, no, it's not weird. I know you work a lot. You have kids. Yeah. Like I totally get it. Was there a, yeah. a venue that you grew up going to maybe back in the day that you loved? Of course. Yeah. The old 930 club. Yeah. yeah and the Black yeah. Cat and the DC nine. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Classics. So, and even before then, the first show I ever saw, maybe I should say this again, it's, I don't even know if they're still having shows there. I doubt it was uh, Our House. Mm. Like I saw the Almighty Senators there play there uh, one summer, I think in 88 or 89, and everybody got kind of topless, which oh. again, secured, it was summer. <laughs> it's not it the word I thought you were going for, so I was, I was like, oh, okay. I thought you were going to say kind of wasted. Or... It was, oh, that too, yeah, yeah. but it was a, uh, um, Dan from Lungfish, Danny Higgs, was doing a spoken word and uh, opened for the the Almighty Senators, and it was a BG E party. They were trying to raise money oh. to pay their BG E bill, <laughs> and uh, so there was like very, you know, there were a lot of people and very little AC of any kind. It was very hot, and uh, you know, so people did people what they just, had to do, yeah, to cool down. Yeah. So. God bless them. Oh, so. that's awesome. With the big drum and the whole thing. Yeah, so yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So that, again, solidified my uh, my love of Baltimore. Yeah, that's another one. Okay, this one might be hard, too, because you said you don't get all up, but this could be one you used to go to as well. Um, favorite local dive bar? Ah, well, currently, um, and they've been around for a long time, I just did a little stint at Bertha's. Oh, yes. Yeah, love, love. Bertha's. They've got a good, like, kind of, uh, got a good crowd of regulars mm -hmm. that you know are kind of fun and yeah. uh, their staff is great good beer selection grip their muscles you yeah. know I love the, the way it feels in there too yeah, yeah yeah it definitely is that's the thing for me it's the vibe where it's like oh this is an old bar yeah this has seen some shit <laughs> this is a hundred plus year old bar yes. yeah 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 so the stories these walls have seen you know hopefully will never be told yes in, you know yeah in, in delicate settings oh i love bertha you can't kill the dive bar i i certainly hope not you know look in in a time when everything is like super swank and slick and clean and pristine and sterilized i'm sorry that's boring i agree <laughs> everything's gonna end up looking the same that way yeah, yeah yeah i don't like homogenized i like things to be a little tattered you know same same and it wouldn't be uh, the Buzz in Baltimore podcast if we didn't talk about what is your favorite drink. Like, what are you? What's your go-to when you go to that dive? Um, what's what's kind of your signature? So, anytime I go to a dive, I usually will default to beer. Mm -hmm. um, I love beer, and I like all types of beers from porters to stouts to whites to IPAs. Yes. You name it, You're even a lager. My language. Yeah, 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 yeah. I will. I will have several of those. I think beer is delicious. Um, so usually I'll ask, like, if there's a beer I hadn't tried before, I'll usually go for that. And I usually like to shop local, too. Like, oh, yeah. look, there's, you know, a new monument I haven't tried mm -hmm. or a new union I haven't tried or a new there's a, a new one called Pariah Brewing that's yeah, opening up. Yeah, I just went there a week ago. There's such, if you like hops, there's such really good. I like it all. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm really stoked to go try that out. So usually I'm, you know, I do like to support local. Local everything, local music, local yeah. beverages, you know. Local beer, local people. Yeah, exactly. The whole thing. Yeah. Well, Tecla, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a very busy person, so I just really appreciate it. It's been a true joy to sit down with you, and I've known of you for so long, and obviously have appreciated the auto bar. So oh, just my <laughs> reputation precedes me. <laughs> In a very good way. Um, so it means, Damn it. It means a lot that, that you came on the podcast, and just thank you for everything you've done for Baltimore and, and all your hard work. I can't wait for my next auto bar show. I'd do it again in a heartbeat, Jess. Thank you so much. It's been an honor, too.